0: All right, we are back on the subject of the four views, dealing with this problem we've been working on. I'll leave my my other Bibles up here. So if you have your notes for all of that, definitely pull that out. Uh, If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Psalm 98 real quick. Psalm 98, Uh, this is the psalm in the lectionary this morning. And just because it relates to what we've been struggling with, Psalm chapter 98, verse 9. Psalm 98, verse 9. Say amen when you're there. Psalm 98, verse 9 reads, uh, Before the Lord, for he cometh to judge the earth with righteousness, shall he judge the world and the people with equity. All right? Before the Lord, for he cometh to judge the earth with righteousness, shall he judge the world with uh, righteousness, shall he judge the world and the people with equity. Now, that's a, a straightforward verse, uh, but it just reminds us that there is going to be a judgment and God is going to judge the world. He's going to judge the world with righteousness, He's going to judge uh, the people with equity. There will be some kind of judgment that is the teaching of the bible from uh, genesis all the way to the book of revelation now it's easy to say yes he will judge and then when you start asking questions about well how will this judgment occur what will be the basis of this judgment how will we be judged how will a christian be judged versus a non-christian once we start asking these questions that's where the problems uh, begin and and the reason we ended up with a problem is because in romans chapter 2 verse 6 what did we discover If you need to look, in Romans chapter 2, verse 6, what did we discover? We're going to be judged according to our deeds. We're going to be judged according to our works. And that began to raise lots of questions, right? If we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, because of Christ alone, and we stress the word alone... then how in the world am I going to turn around and be judged according to my deeds or judged according to my works? Now, there's lots of easy solutions if you believe the people who claim that they're easy. They're easy. They just throw something out and it's all wonderful. We've talked about this and talked about this and talked about this. And so what we decided to do is we pulled up a book, one of the four views book, where they take a theological problem and offer four separate views, trying to offer people some kind of a solution. Um, the reason they have to do these kinds of books is because that usually indicates what? There is not an easy solution and there's not agreement. So what we're doing is we're allowing each view to speak for itself because we're just going through the book. We're obviously offering up thoughts and questions and critiques and challenges and we're trying the best to come up with a, the best solution we can to the, the problem. And remember how we summarized the problem? Justified by faith, judged according to faith works. That seems to be the teaching of the Bible. How do we reconcile what appears to be very contradictory views? And that's what we are working on. What was view number one? Yes, Christians will be judged according to their works at the reward judgment, but not at the final judgment this view simply states that yes Christians will stand before God yes well we will be judged according to our works however that will only determine reward or loss of reward has nothing to do with our salvation now that view sounds so good doesn't it right I remember what was the key text that view used to try to prove their point Luke 19 and they used a parable did they not now, that parable, first of all, that raises a red flag because they're using a parable. However, to be fair, if we, uh, the way we went through that parable, it seems to be in agreement with the idea that we would say we would find in, say, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. So that gave it some support, but the view also offered up a lot of the objections. We did not go through all the objections that they offered up to their own view, but what was some of the key problems with this view? What was some of the key problems with this view? Okay, we we have parables that seem to indicate someone who's a servant, right, um, and that they are judged according to what they did or did not do, and then they are cast into outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. This would almost require a new either either trying to argue that these people in these parables were never saved, I and mean, where were all the parables they used? Matthew twenty four. 25, right? Now, again, what's the biggest problem here? They're using parables. All right, that's problem. Um, but we would either have to say these people were never saved, but, and what showed they were never saved is their works, which leads to a different view, or we have to try to change up that the weeping and gnashing of teeth has nothing to do with eternal punishment. It simply shows grief and shame. All right, that's, that's problematic, okay? What's another problem with view number one? Probably the biggest problem with view number one. yeah that you got like john, uh, in john and the Gospel of John where Jesus speaks of judgment, he speaks of judgment being heaven and hell based off what we do, and now you either have to say jesus wasn't referring to believers, but if he 's not referring to believers, then who's going to heaven in that judgment right so what we do is based what it is. yeah right, and that's a whole different issue right so so there's yeah, so there's like the first view there's it's so it's the view that I want to be right because it makes the most sense, but we're having some problems. We're having some problems. But again, let me, I've stated this now 50 times. Let me state it 51 times. No one view is going to be perfect. I wish that wasn't the case. I wish I could sit here and tell you, oh, this is simple. Here's three scriptures and you'll go to bed tonight feeling like it's all great. You'll do that if you don't read any more than those three scriptures. If I give you three scriptures, I can make you think anything's okay, right? It's when you continue to think. So, we moved on to view number two on Wednesday night, right? And how, what, how what was the, how did he give a title for his view? Okay. Simply put, works are required, right? And they're required because they serve as evidence of one's salvation. Now, this one sounds good, too, until you start really thinking about it, right? And what was the biggest takeaway from Wednesday night? The one that everyone here has to know, everyone has to be on the same page. He seemed to be giving justification a new definition, which is, well, on one hand, I respect... Because he's trying to be consistent. On the other hand, it should cause everyone to go, wait a minute. And here's the thing, and I want to drive this point home. I know it's review, but this is important. I would argue that 90% of Christians, when it comes to this judgment according to works, whatever solution they come to, I will argue that about 90% of Christians are not being consistent with their definition of justification. This happens in theological studies, because when you're in theological studies, let's say we're studying, we're, we're dealing with a soteriological issue, say like justification. We study justification in and of itself, right? It's, it's like placed in its own little box. Then we move on, and then we'll start dealing with, say, judgment according to works, and we try to work a solution, and sometimes we almost disconnect one teaching With the other teaching, and you got to go. Whoa, slow down. We got to put the two together. And when we started this, I kept after sermon after sermon after sermon. I was wanting someone to raise their hand and go. Wait a minute. Our our definition of justification precludes many of these views from even possibly being right. But no one did. I was hoping someone would. So let's remind ourselves um, what. What is a key part of the definition of justification that we have used as a church? The key element of the definition of justification according to the Westminster Confession, London Baptist Confession, and many other confessions of faith. What is one of the key elements of just, because I don't want to have to pull out the London Baptist and read it again like we did on Wednesday, because I want to advance this. But what's some of the key elements to our definition of justification that causes a problem when trying to resolve this issue? Okay, we'll go through some basic elements. First, we believe in what's called forensic justification, meaning it's a legal declaration, right? We are legally declared not just to be not guilty. We are not just declared to be innocent. We are now declared to be righteous because Christ's righteousness has been imputed to our account, and when we say his righteousness is being imputed to our account, we speak of it in two ways. His active obedience is accredited to my account, and his passive obedience. Active obedience, he kept the law, all the law. So any law I break is irrelevant because he kept it for me. And what righteousness is I'm going to be judged according to? The righteousness that's accredited to my account. Well, if that's true, if our definition is true, then what works, look, what works could be evidence of my justification? The only works that could be evidence of my justification would be the works of Christ, his active and passive obedience, period. What you're really arguing is I have to have evidence of my sanctification in order to be saved. And that's a distinction that sometimes is not, even in some of, the, in some of these views, when they talk about it, they, they're not making that distinction. So now what you're saying is, I, I cannot be justified unless I am sanctified, which is now making justification, listen carefully, a process which we usually say justification is not a process. It's an instantaneous act where, whereby I am declared to be righteous because I am placing my faith in the finished work of Christ, and then we have this imputation that takes place. It's imputed in my account. We're making it a process. That's very Catholic. Remember I've talked about before that we try to separate them, but then we say things that really... We're like, we try to say, here's justification, here's sanctification, here's glorification. And we try to separate the three, right? Remember we've talked about this? And then when we talk, what do we do? We combine them and say, wait a minute, you're not justified unless you're sanctified. And if you're not sanctified, you won't be. So the only way, so so really, I can be declared just all day. Right, But we real, what, we, what Christians typically say is that doesn't really matter because unless I'm being sanctified and then when I get to the end I'm not going to get glorifi- glorified unless I've got enough works to prove that I've been sanctified which they then argue is proof that I have been justified. Which then, if all of that is required it destroys a definition where justification is all about the imputed righteousness of Christ. Do you see the problem with that? So in view number two, what did the book do? It defined justification simply as what? Being acquitted before the divine judge and declared not guilty. He didn't say anything about the imputed righteousness of Christ being declared. He didn't say anything about that. Because you can't. Now, I want to make this very clear. If we stay with our The the traditional Protestant definition of justification, you can't have a view about judgment according to works that then completely ignores your definition of justification. And I am arguing this is way too common. John MacArthur would agree with our definition of justification and he would fight for it and argue for it. Piper would agree with our view. But then they turn around... And say, hey, Bobby, unless you do this, 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 you prove you were never saved. Well, then that makes that makes the proof of his justification what Bobby does. Well, if it if, if Bobby is saved because of the imputed righteousness of Christ, he would look at MacArthur and go, hey, you want evidence? Go look at the active and passive obedience of Christ. There's your evidence for my justification. Back off. I don't know if he'd say it that way, but. He could, right? I would probably say it that way. Okay. I, I would probably say it that way. But I mean, that would be, a, that would be a, a, a very intelligent theological argument. I mean, not just the back off part, but the other part. Okay, you get, you, right? It would be like, wait, you want evidence? Look at everything Christ did. He kept the law perfectly. Guess what? That's been accredited to my account. But you broke the law. Doesn't matter. Christ kept the law. Now I'm sounding like a Lutheran. Well, Lutherans are trying to come up with a solution for this too, and that ultimately that's where you end up. Now, again, now the, the problem with it is can this idea be abused? Every every truth can be abused. That, that is not supposed to give Bobby a license going, Hey, 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 hey Diane, right, Christ's righteousness and obedience has been given to me. I'm going to go break some law tonight, okay? And there's not a thing anybody can say to me. That's not... That's, not, that's an abuse of it. It should lead us to gratitude to want to fall. But, the good, but it gives me assurance that when I do fall, I have, I have, I have something to hope for, right? Other than... Right, and, and abuse of it does not make something not true. That is true. And that's always the argument when, when we believe in eternal security of the believer. We are always told, well, people are going to just live any way they want. Abuse of something doesn't make something not true, right? That, so just make sure we understand that. Okay, so I, 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 uh, I want to get. We're going to get back into view number two. I just want to drive this point home. We have to. We have to decide what definition of justification we're going to. That really, I think, what we've really. Remember when we were dealing with um, eschatology. Uh, The argument really ultimately became it's not an issue about end times. It's not an issue about prophecy. It's an issue about hermeneutics. Remember? Okay. I said, we shouldn't even have to argue about some of this. We just got to figure out the hermeneutical system we're going to agree upon. This issue is really not an issue of trying to figure out judgment according to works. It's really an issue of what we understand the right definition of justification is. That's really the issue. So what we may have to do is really try to hammer out a biblical teaching on justification to see if we're correct. That really may be the... Because here's the thing. Once you figure out what justification is, you're only left with probably one or two views that are even plausible. I'm going to argue that what the, the, the evidential view that we're getting ready to look at is not plausible I don't think it's even workable unless I change my definition of justification. All right? So that, that's very good. All right, so now let's jump in and let, we're going to, now remember what we're doing here, right? We're allowing each view to do what? Speak for, speak for itself, right? I can come here with a little summary, right, and tell you what they think, but I'm letting them speak for themselves. Now, obviously, I'm offering up my own critique and everything, but here we go, all right? Um, he, this, I'm going to jump, jump right in. If you need more context, uh, the sermon's been online since Wednesday night. All right, so here we go. This is what the author says in view number two. And remember, what's view number two basically saying? Works are required, and why are they required? They serve as evidence of... Well, they say justification, which again, we've already argued just theologically, it makes no sense, but okay, you get the idea. Here's what he says. I propose here a solution to the dilemma posed and the teaching of both Paul and James and other New Testament writings. Now, I I, I agree that there's a problem that needs to be solved. Yes? Okay. If you read Paul, if you read James, or read other New Testament writings, what are you confronted with? Remember how we summarized the problem? The Bible seems to teach we're justified by faith, judged according to works. All right. So he acknowledges there's a problem. Every Christian has to acknowledge there's a problem. The people that bother me are the pastors I listen to preach on this who act like it's not that big of a deal. Okay. That drives me crazy. Because they're lying to the people. All right, there is an issue here. We have to resolve it. All right, here's what he's going to argue. Everybody ready? He's arguing that works are necessary for justification, but they should not be considered the basis or foundation of justification. All right, now right there already confuses me to no end, but I'm going to say it again. He's going to argue that works are necessary for justification, but they should not be considered the basis or foundation of justification instead they constitute the necessary evidence or fruit of justification now everyone here what I, what i how i introduced everything you already should see a problem well the big well, the biggest issue here he's arguing for evidence and fruit of justification if justification is a legal declaration where God declares me just, not based on anything I do or can do, then what fruit is there? The fruit comes from what Christ did, not from me. They're arguing for fruit of sanctification. Now, I I, I get irritated because, I mean, obviously the men writing these books have far more, well, I don't know if they have more degrees than me, they have probably more uh prestigious degrees from me, from bigger schools than me, right? I, they probably know far more than I do, but this to me is an inexcusable theological blending of categories that should never occur. Not in the Protestant world. The Protestant world always separates justification from sanctification. That, that is the key element. We don't blend them. When you're saying, that, well, first of all, I mean, he's saying uh works are necessary for justification, and, and he thinks he gets off the hook by saying they should not be considered the basis or foundation of. They're necessary, but they're not the basis or, or, or foundation of. What does that even mean? If they're necessary, I mean, it's like, hey, Bobby, works are necessary, but hey, they're not the basis or foundation of. Oh, Okay, good, thanks. Right, I, I don't even, yeah, the whole thing becomes... Uh, Yeah, Well, it just, it's like saying words that don't ultimately, like if you really think about them, it, it just seems to be like nothing, right? And, and again, am I missing anything? Does he get himself from a, from a, the way he's structuring his statement, it doesn't work to get him off the hook by saying, hey, they're necessary, but they're not the basis of foundation of. Am I missing something in my reading comprehension? What do you think? It, right. Right. I I know what he, he's I, I know what he's trying to do. It just seems to me so full. Hey, they're necessary, but they're not the basis of the foundation. Okay, so they're not the basis of the foundation. But without them, well, I, not in a problem. I'm going to hell. Okay, right? so, yeah, that's a problem. Yeah. All right. So. And so, instead, they constitute the necessary evidence of fruit of justification. And again, if you're going to, the only evidence for justification, if our if our definition of justification is correct, should be what? What Christ did: His active and passive obedience, keeping the law and dying for me. That should be the only evidence I need. Right. And that remember, sometimes in the Protestant world, they'll use that thing. If you were to die tonight and you were to stand before God and he was to ask you why he should let you into his heaven, what would you say? Now, what we typically say is what? You shouldn't let me into heaven based on anything I do, but I am trusting in what Christ did. You should let me into heaven based on what your son did. Okay, well, then there's no I don't need evidence or fruit. Not for justification. Now, if you're going to argue, I need it for sanctification, and if I don't have it for sanctification, then I was never justified, you're still making justification. Yeah, it's still not working based off our definition. All right, so here's what he's going to do. All right, are you ready? That's his thesis. That's his thesis, all right? His thesis is it's going to somehow serve as an evidence. So now he's going to make his case. And guess what's the first, the, we're gonna, here's his first point in making his case. So the first point in this view is this. Are you ready? And every view does the same thing. What does every view have to establish other than the Catholic view? What does every Protestant view have to start with when they try to make their points? The first point they have to make is that the Bible teaches we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, because of Christ alone. Every view has to start that. Now, to me, they start it because they know it's there. But then my question is, they also know that there's this other problem and that this is what creates the dilemma. So he's going re- to restate what was already stated in view number one and it's going to be restated in view number three. It'll, it probably won't be restated in view number four but because this is so foundational. But we're going to continue to repeat it because it's critical for us to hear again and again. So point number one, justification apart from works... And Paul, or just say justification apart from works. Justification apart from works—that's point number one. Justification apart from works—that's number one. Now, please note what did he just say earlier in his thesis? They're necessary, but he's going to—he's te- going to show that the Bible teaches justifications apart from works. This is this—he. The, what's interesting is when you read these books trying to fix the problem, sometimes they, it's like they twist themselves into like, you're like, man, you're, you're confusing me more than you're helping me. Right? Hey, works are necessary. My first point is justification is apart from works. <laughs> what? Okay. All right. What is he going to do? Are you ready? All right. Turn to the book of Galatians. All right. Book of Galatians, because I think we're going to be there at some point. Uh, this is the, the passage. I think he's going to go to the passage Miss Gussler has pointed out a couple of times. All right, here's what he says. Everybody listens ca- carefully. On eight occasions. Uh, just turn to Galatians. We'll, we'll, we'll get there when, we, when we're when we ready. All right. <clears throat> I just know that's where he's going, so I'm just trying to get us there to speed it up. All right. On eight occasions, in his letters, Paul teaches that justification or the reception of the Spirit is not obtained through works of law. Everybody hear that again? He's making his first point. On eight occasions in his letter, Paul teaches that justification or the reception of the Spirit is not obtained through works of the law. He says eight times Paul does this. Eight times. Now this is critical, right? If we're trying to figure out a view, we can't just ignore one side for the other. Does the Bible seem to argue we're going to be judged according to works? Absolutely. Does the Bible speak about works? Absolutely. But on the other side, there's this emphasis that we are saved apart from the works. How do we reconcile this? So he's starting off by saying eight times Paul does this in his letters. Now, I, I, I would argue, I mean, Maybe it's just eight. There's a part of me that thinks there's more than eight. But okay, let's go with eight. He says three times. Three times can be found in Galatians chapter 2. I bet you Miss Gessler knows what verse. Verse 16. There you go. Galatians chapter 2, verse 16. Let's read it, okay? He argues three of the eight times are right here in this one verse. Here we go. Everybody there? Galatians 2.16. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law. Everybody see that? Now, to be fair, just because I know Catholic theology, Catholics would agree with that as well. The issue is, what does he mean by not according to the works of the law? That's going to come in, I think, in view number four. Not everyone agrees on what that means. Some people believe works of the law, what Paul is referring to is, you're not going to be justified according to the Old Testament ceremonial laws, right? The civil laws. You're not going to be justified by any of those Old Testament works. They would argue that Paul is writing to whom in Galatians? The Jews. And that the Jews were relying on what? The keeping of the law for their salvation. Now the new perspectivism, remember we talked about this, would come in and say that's a wrong reading of Galatians and that the Old Testament, the, the Jews were not based; did not have a works-based system. That goes against everything that we think. Now, this becomes very critical. in How we that was a major uh, theological trend that occurred in the church, and the average Christian doesn't even know it occurred, but it did. The new perspectivism was a big deal. Okay, so but we will get it. Just to make sure we understand. Catholics would say, "Amen." We are not justified by the works of the law. I don't have to sacrifice an animal. Don't have to be circumcised, right? don't have to, you know, a woman uh, on her cycle doesn't have to be separated for everyone for so many days and then kill an animal and do this. And all, the, all, all those crazy laws that we read about in Leviticus and, and X, remember, you know, all those Old Testament laws. They're saying, Paul's saying, you're not going to be justified according to those. Now, they would argue he's not saying works aren't necessary, just not those works. All right, just make sure we understand that that, this, that. that will be an interpretive challenge we'll have to come to at some point. Sadly, the average Protestant sitting in a church don't even know that there's a possible different interpretation of it. You know why they don't know? I'm going to be blunt and rude because their worthless pastors stand in the pulpit and don't tell them that there's different interpretations. OK? That's why, and then you allow worthless pastors to do it, and they end up pastoring for 2,000 people, and everybody is happy in their blissful ignorance, okay? Thinking that they've got it all figured out, which they don't. And, which, and, and uh, you know, someone was saying this today. There was some article written by someone, and uh, some atheist uh, commented, and then someone said something negative to the atheist, and then some Christian responded, go, I wouldn't criticize the atheist because they usually know the Bible better than we do. That is embarrassing, okay? And every Christian, if you know an atheist who knows the Bible better than you, you should be embarrassed, and I think you should question your Christianity. Right? I've said before, my stepbrother, who claimed to be everything from an anarchist to a Satanist to whatever, would beat every Christian I've ever known in Bible trivia. He would destroy you in five seconds. Okay? okay. I don't know. He, he He may. He studied the Bible probably as much as I did. Okay, All right? So that 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 shouldn't be the way it should be, right? We should know. We should know it. So we have to know these kinds of things, and it just bothers me. Now, now I, I always put the blame. I, I like to put the responsibility on you, but I always put the blame on pastors too, okay? Because at some point, pastors have to be, I mean, if you're not going to hear it at church, then you're going to be sitting at home. Okay, you're not getting anything right. No, I'm just saying like the average Christian can't sit at home and study this all day. So you got to come to church. The church has to go, hey, you do know there's like 13 different interpretations for this verse, right? And most churches don't tell you there's 13. Or they just say there's 13. All of them are wrong except the one I'm about to give you, okay? Right. Which I usually say here's 13 and then when I'm done, you're like, which one's right? And I'm like, I'm not telling you and then you get mad at me. But you should thank me, Okay because uh, I'm trying to make you realize that you have a responsibility in that too, right? So, yeah, it just makes me mad. So, so everybody understands how some people interpret that, right? Works according to the law only refers to what kind of works? The, more, the ceremonial civil laws. The, may even some be, may, and Some may even argue some of the Old Testament moral law, right? But they would say that that does not negate works in justification, it just would be a different type of work. Right? That would be the argument some would make. I'm not saying that's right. Just saying we have to, be, we have to realize that interpretation has existed in the church. Right? And we have to try to figure it out. But, so that would be number one. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by, please note, he states again, works of the law. Works. Of, Paul loves that phrase. You're not saved by the works of the law. Works of the law. Why does he use that phrase? Okay. well, he's, if he's referring to the Jews, then he's referring to the Old Testament law. Now, that, now that, that raises questions, how does that apply ultimately? But, okay, so just, just make sure you, every time you see that phrase, just remember, wait a minute, not everyone's going to interpret that, because the way most Protestants interpret that as, as we, means what? What's the difference between, say, the Catholic interpretation and the Protestant interpretation? Catholic interpretation says, amen, we're not justified by the Old Testament law. Doesn't mean there aren't works you have to do. Protestants interpret works of the law meaning what? No works. That's, that's a big, big difference in interpretation. Everybody got that? Everybody see that? Okay. I'm not saying which one's right right now. I just want you to understand the difference. All right. Um, so, and he says, not by the works of the law, for by, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Right, I think he makes that pretty, pretty clear. Now, it just depends on how we interp- interpret the phrase. Now, this is what he says about Galatians 2.16. Remember, he says three of the eight times are found, right, what we just read. He affirms that human beings are not justified by works of the law, but only through faith in Jesus Christ. The importance of this verse can scarcely be exaggerated, for it occurs in the part of the Galatian letter... That some people basically refers to as the thesis of his letter. That this basically is the thesis of his entire letter. And they would argue, again, how you interpret Galatians, new perspectivism versus the non. If we go with the non-new perspectivism, what we, how we would interpret the letter is Paul's writing to, to basically Christians. And he doesn't want them to be influenced by the Judaizers who are coming along saying, what's going to be required for you to be saved? Works of the law. And he's saying, you're not going to be justified by those works. Right? Does that make sense? Okay. Um, Now, he he goes on, and this is, I've got to try to describe the way this is written. He, He writes, boundary markers, open parentheses, observing that part of the law that particularly set Israel apart from the other nations. Sabbath, circumcision, purity regulations. Close parentheses. So, boundary, so you placed all of that there. Now, please note, observing that part of the law, particularly set to Israel apart from other nations, Sabbath, circumcision, purity regulations. If you, if you interpret, you're not going to be saved according to the works of the law, and those are the works you're referring to, you could still add other works into it. Does that make sense? So, I, maybe that's what he's going to do. Hey, you don't need these kinds of works as evidence, but you're going to need some kind of works for evidence, okay? So he says, boundary markers, and I'm going to skip the parentheses that he opened and closed, are the impetus for Paul's declaration, since Paul was in, in effect compelling Gentiles to abide by the food laws, or, since Peter was in effect compelling Gentiles to abide by the food laws in order to belong to the people of God. Look at Galatians 2, I think 11 through 14. Now, now let's take verse, verse 16 in the Protestant world is always quoted what way? Typically out of context. Yes? Let's put it back in a broader context and see what happens. But when Peter was come to Antioch, Everybody see this in Galatians 2:11? Yes. I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. Now, who's speaking? Paul speaking. Who does he confront? Peter. To his face. Why? He was to be blamed. Now, what should be the next question a good Bible student should ask? Blame for what? For before that certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles, but when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the... Stop right there. What does it mean, those of the circumcision? okay, Jews, or sometimes referred to as the Judaizers, right? Okay, Of the circumcision. In other words, these were Jews who were coming in saying what? You basically have to be Jewish in order to be saved. And when they say Jewish, meant keeping Sabbath, purity regulations, food laws. Right? Everybody get that? Okay? Now, so now, now you see where 16's about to fall into place? Now that changes the way we could possibly interpret that. Right? See, that should embarrass some Protestants. We've never even considered it that way. We just say, oh, you're not, you don't have to do any works. Is that what 16 is saying? Or is it referring to a specific kind of work? Right. Let's continue. And the other Jews disassembled likewise with him, insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with dis- 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 a All right. So basically, there's this division that occurs. And what's the division happening? They're happening because you got some basically saying, hey, you can't hang out with those Gentiles. You've got to be what? Jewish, and people are getting caught up in this debate. You have the the makings of a church split going on, right? But when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all, If thou, being a Jew, livest after the manner of Gentiles, and not as do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? We are, by, we are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law. What works of the law? The Old Testament law. The Old Testament law. Now, please note, context there would allow then for someone to come along and say, Hey, not those works. These. Yeah, now, I'm not saying that's right, but I'm saying the context there would clearly give us what works he's referring to. Agreed? Yes? Okay. I'm not trying to confuse you, but I'm trying to make it fair. Right? Got to make it fair. That changes the way, I, that's not the way I was taught this verse. Think back in your early Christian life. How were you taught this verse? Yeah. Word. Period. Period. Right? Not not a certain kind of works. Just all works. That, hmm, you know, what I'm saying? That that makes me a little nervous. That maybe we've mishandled it. Right? Just just a thought. Right? Continue on. Furthermore. The burning issue in Galatians is whether circumcision is mandatory for salvation. That's the big issue in Galatians. Is circumcision mandatory? He gives a bunch of scriptures through there. Does anyone question that statement? Do you feel like we need to go through all the book of Galatians to prove that? Does Everybody feel comfortable? Okay. uh, Remember, that was a big issue. And that was a constant issue uh, early on, right? Hey, these Gentiles, they want to be saved. Okay, well, you've got to be circumcised. You've got to be circumcised. Basically, you've got to live like a Jew. Right? All right. Hence, the new perspective rightly sees that the inclusion of Gentiles is a major concern in Pauline theology. That is very true. When it comes to Paul's teaching, what to do with the Gentiles was a major issue. That was a major issue in the early church. The first church council in, And the book of Acts was dealing with what to do with what? These Gentiles. Okay, all right. Nevertheless, the debate in Galatians is not restricted to boundary markers since works of law encompasses the whole law. All right. Now Now, listen to what he just did. He acknowledges that the issues in Galatians are all pertaining to Old Testament law. What he's going to say is, however, it should not be restricted because he says the phrase works of the law encompasses the whole law. Now, what should be the question every smart Bible student would ask at this point? Okay, what law are you referring to? Whole law, what law? Every law? What law? Agreed? Okay, now, and so it's interesting. He kind of he kind of he's acknowledging what Galatians is doing, and then he wants to kind of go beyond what Galatians is doing. Here's the, here's the question we should ask: Why is he doing that? What's he trying to accomplish? Let's see. All right. Indeed, the question in Galatians includes the larger issue of whether observance of the law is necessary for justification. He tells us to look at Galatians 2.21. I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. Now That's an important verse. Agreed? He's arguing this goes beyond even the Old Testament. He's arguing that if I try to gain righteousness by any work, then what am I basically doing? Now I'm making Christ in vain. I don't need Christ. If I can gain righteousness by what I do, then what did Christ accomplish? Now please note, that sounds good, but remember what this view is going to argue. This view is about to argue... That works are necessary to prove it. Well, wait a minute. If, if my righteousness has nothing to do with what I do, then I don't need any evidence because what's the evidence of my righteousness? Christ. He's, so like he's setting himself up to contradict what he's, he's arguing, but we just got to follow this through. We got to follow the... Galatians 2.21 is an important verse. I know Miss Gussler... Focused on 16, 2.21 may be very important to write down. We may want to write this one down as the key one to remember. 16 could be argued it has nothing to do, the only thing it's talking about is the Old Testament law. 21 may go beyond that. Agreed? Yeah, well, I think he's going to go through all of them. I think he's going to go through all of them, but we'll see. We'll see what he does, all right? We'll see what he does, all right? But I just want to at least give us a challenge in how we, we probably have all mishandled Galatians two sixteen. We've probably all mishandled it. I know I was taught to mishandle it, right? I mean, I mean you, you're taught to, you're taught to give that verse Galatians two sixteen and evangelism. Right. All right. So so everybody on the same page right now. All right. Let's see what he says. Justification cannot be gained by works of law. For the law demands perfect obedience to stand in the right before God. That sounds good. Now, wait a minute. But earlier, what did he say was necessary? Remember how he started his thesis? Works are necessary, they're not the basis. Alright, so, he he says, look at Galatians 3.10. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone that continueth, continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Now, please note. Uh, this works of what kind of works? Works of the law. Remember, he's using that phrase over and over and over. So I don't know if this completely destroys the case. This, to me, seems to be making a case that what works is Paul worried about? He's trying to say, if you put yourself back in what system? The Old Testament system, what does the Old Testament system require? Perfection. And what are the Judaizers wanting everyone to go back to? So is this, is this really giving us any... How do we interpret this? This raises lots of questions, but let's continue. Right. One must abide by everything in the law to be justified if one opts for circumcision and adherence to the Mosaic law. Now, he's, he's putting it right back in that category, which I agree. I think that's the major emphasis in Galatians. Let's continue. There is a salvation... Historical argument here as well. For the Sinai law offered forgiveness through the sacrifices when one transgressed, but such sacrifices are no longer valid according to Paul. Now that Christ has come and offered the definitive and final sacrifice for sins. Now let's stop right here. Again, they make statements and whenever you read, whenever you read these kind of things you have to stop. Now let's, let's take this through carefully. Right. Now, please note, there's not even agreement within Christianity on this subject. All right. So let's raise this question. How were Old Testament saints saved? Now, some dispensationalists, especially extreme dispensationalists, say Old Testament saints were saved by works. Right, that's some forms of dispensationalism teach that. Right? Other forms of dispensationalism say no, and covenant theology obviously completely rejects that idea. All right? So, he's making an argument that there was a historical salvation for the Old Testament. And how were they saved according to what he just said? Through the sacrifices. Right? Not by being perfect, but through the sacrifices. Now wait, follow the logic. If that's true, then they did not need works as well. What did they need? Was it through the sacrifice? What's the next word? Come on. You're Protestants, you should know that. Was it through the sacrifice alone? Or was it through the sacrifice plus? Because he's going to make the argument, there was a historical salvation for them. It required a sacrifice. That form of sacrifice is gone. So we have a sacrifice now. Well, if they were saved through the sacrifice of the Old Testament alone, then we too should be saved in the New Testament through alone. So does works, does works are necessary? I will argue Israel's works did not necessarily would have given me great evidence of their salvation. So did the sacrifice save them or not save them? Well, being judged there doesn't necessarily mean they're not saved, right? Okay. But do you see that, you see, like if you're going to start making, see, here's what happens. When you start making works and evidence, you see what starts happening, Right? Who who who, meet, who who has enough works to meet it, right? So I'm already I'm already questioning where he's going here, but I'm I'm going I'm to see where he goes. All right. The only way to escape the curse is through the cross of Christ, for He took the curse upon Himself that human beings deserved. Galatians three thirteen. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hanged on a tree. Now let me stop right here. If Christ was cursed and took my punishment for law-breaking, did he only take my punishment for law-breaking for Old Testament law? Or did he take the curse for breaking any law? If he did and he paid for it, right? Like if we think about it, here's Trevor, here's the law he will break, Old Testament, New Testament, he breaks the law. Christ takes that sin, places it upon his son, he is cursed and judged for my law breaking. Then what works do I need to avoid now being prove and not say if he took the punishment for all my law breaking then there's no what works can be even brought up at my account see to make it evidential he, he's making a good case against his case he's making a good argument that his view is wrong Okay, so far but he obviously is going to try to reconcile this we have to wait for the hook and Go. oh there, that's how it works Right now, I'm, I, he wants to emphasize we're saved by what? By Christ. That's what he's emphasizing right now. Remember, that's the whole, what's the first point he's making? Remember I gave you the title for his first point? Justified apart from works, remember? Okay, he's emphasizing that. We should be agreeing right here, at least in part. What I'm trying to do is trying to show you that he's undermining his own position. So what so when when you're reading this, what are we looking for? His solution to what he's doing, right? He's building a case that, that he's got to overcome. Now, why why do you do this? Why do you do this is this is a typical way of, of presenting an argument from an academic perspective. You make an argument, right? You agree with what someone would what basically what you're doing, you're agreeing with what someone is going to use against you, right? You say, I agree, Brenda's coming along, we're not saved with works, we're not saved with works. And I'm like, you know what, here you go, this verse proves that, this verse proves that. You're right, Brenda, and then I set her up for when I flip the argument against her, right? It's a common way of doing debate, right? Remember, what do I always say with, with, with what to do? Agree with the opposition, and then show how it falls apart. Agree, like make make Brenda think, yeah, I'm on your side. And then all of a sudden, flip the argument, and where she realizes her view just crumbled. It's it's tricky to do, but it's smart. Because what you do, you have the person you you're giving them a false sense of security, you're like yeah, I'm going to win this debate. I'm going to win this debate. You're going to yeah, come on, come on, come on, yeah, you're going to win this debate. You're so smart. Come on, <laughs> boom, there you go. You just fell off the cliff. Right. Okay? So whenever I start agreeing with you, you should always just stop immediately because I'm probably setting you up. Okay, All right. I'm just saying, yeah, you're so smart. Yeah, you're a genius. Come on, come on, come on. Come on, come on, come on. There you go. Here's the oncoming train. I'll get out of the way. Right. Because usually that's yeah, the way it's set. So is he setting us up? Okay, Is he setting us up? We'll have to see. Oh, we're out of time. All right. We'll have to stop here. We're going to continue the next hour. We've got to continue like every hour that we have available. Okay, we, because, all right, any questions right now? Let's review real quick. What's view number one? View number one that we studied the last couple of weeks Christians will not, well, Christians will be judged according to works at the rewards judgment, but not at the final. That view's got its strengths, but it's got some, it's got some problems, right? View number two is basically what? We'll make it simple. You need your works because your works are going to be evidence of your salvation. Or he says justification, which again, I believe is just messed up, but okay. All right. Of your salvation. Right? So far, what's he trying to do? He's trying to show us that we are justified apart from works. That's the argument he's making. right? We're justified apart from works. What is the big takeaway from the first hour? The big takeaway from the first hour, I want to make sure everyone gets this, because if you forget this, when we get to the Catholic, I believe the Catholic view is coming, I'm already laying the groundwork for you to understand the Catholic view because most of you would, you think you understand Catholicism and you're absolutely, 99% of Protestants should never speak of Catholicism because I don't know what they talk about, right? And that includes pastors. It drives me insane. He, we, the big takeaway from this hour is this. Paul, over and over and over and over and over and over again, when he says we are justified apart from works, he always uses a specific phrase, which is works of the law. If we understand that to simply mean Paul is saying, hey guys, you're not going to be justified by going and doing the Old Testament works, keeping the Sabbath, keeping the purity rituals, All of those feast days, all of the, you're not going to be saved by doing that. If he is simply saying that, but he's allowing for other kinds of works, that changes the way we interpret these verses. It is absolutely fair to argue that Galatians 2.16 has only what kind of work in mind? Works of the law, because who is he fighting with? Peter, who was trying to tell them. Hey, works of the law, because Peter is like, hey, I can't eat with those Gentiles, right? Hey, you can only, you've got to eat what we eat, right? You've got to follow our dietary laws. Well, wait, Peter was the one who realized that the dietary laws supposedly went away. Okay, all right, all right wait a minute, what happened? Well, because he's, 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 his, 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 his Judaism he can't escape from, right? He's like, man, I'm so used to, I've got to keep this law, I've got to keep this law, I've got to keep this law. And Paul's coming along, no, 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 we're not saying that way. Now, what way does Paul believe we're saved? Right. Now, that's the issue. Is he saying no law? Or those laws, but there are some laws you do have to keep. Now, that's, that's the issue. Just make sure you understand. That's the big takeaway is to understand how to deal with that. And, the big, and, and, this, and, the very, and what's the practical application to take away from this? I'll give you something practical. Right? You should be embarrassed. As I was embarrassed the first time I discovered this that we have all misread, misapplied and lied to people about Galatians 2:16. Because most of us never interpreted it in its proper context. What's the proper context of Galatians 2:16? Jewish law. There's no question there. Now, you could go further on to verse 21 and some other verses and make a a bigger argument, but 2.16 has to first be applied to what law is he referring to? The Old Testament Mosaic law. Has everybody got that? We should all be embarrassed by that. And you have to ask yourself, why did you fall for it? We fell for it because what do we have a tendency to do? Read verses out of their context. We're all guilty of it. Okay? I felt for that for years. Right? I mean, hey, well, when he says we're not saved according to the works of the law, he just means all works. Well, okay. He may ultimately mean that, but at least in the immediate context, he's, he's very limiting what he means. The context limits what he means. You can't come along and say, here's, here's the thing: you can't tell Paul what he means. Paul's supposed to tell you what he means. And the only way for me to understand what Paul means is based off what he wrote and the context in which he wrote it. Right? Does that make sense? Okay. All right. uh, A good. right. Uh, I'll give a, a pop a pop culture reference. There is a, a song called All You Zombies from the 19, I think 1983, 1984. Um, I was at the concert when the band... Uh, Debuted the song, and I'm never never forget leaving the concert, and we were having this big debate. Is that a Christian band? I'm like, man, if you really listen to the lyrics, all you zombies, he mentions Moses, he mentions mentions Pharaoh, he mentions the Exodus. He made like, what is going on? Like this, this has to be a Christian band. Then it became a big radio hit. It was played on the radio and teenagers all over the place because back then we at least some of us talked about lyrics, and we were debating it like. No, no. And I kept arguing, no, there's no way it's not a Christian song. It's not. And they're like, you can't read the lyrics. And I'm like, something's not right here. I think he's using religious language, but I don't think there's a religious message here. There's a different kind of message going on. And I am understand. So we debated and we debated and we debated. Now, back then, it was hard to find, find out. Years later, the songwriter came out and was like, what are you talking about? I don't even know what the song's about. So guess who ultimately gets to decide the songwriter right the songwriter, the author they get to decide now sometimes we are given insight into what they 're saying sometimes we're not. if we don't get to hear from them, then what can we rely on words context now song context is a little harder there you have to be really you have to be really good at going, wait a minute i don 't I know he's using some religious symbolism, but if you follow the, mm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be hesitant here. I think there was enough there to go. He's just throwing imagery out. He's not necessarily making a message. Okay, I think there, I think you should be able to figure it out from reading. But you know, when it, <laughs> we won't get into people's ability to interpret song lyrics. Okay, but, um, but the same thing is true here. At least for Paul, I can't speak to Paul, but I clearly know what led to him saying verse 16, and what led to him saying verse 16 the conflict that was happening in the church. And what does he want them to realize? To stop relying on Old Testament food laws to be saved. And you can't force those on Gentiles because we're not saved according to those works. Now, if those works expand to include other works, then okay, but we have to let Paul expand it somewhere else. All right, we've got to stop. Let's pray. Lord God, we come before you this morning. Lord, I pray that as we try our best to figure this out, that we that we will be fair to the text. But I, I guess, Lord, for this hour, I just hope that we're all a little convicted by probably being guilty of mishandling your word. Uh, there's no excuse for that. Sometimes it happens because we were taught wrong. Sometimes it happens because we read it wrong. But, Lord, we have to be more careful in handling your word unless we believe it's ours and not yours. If it's yours... That we need to treat it as such, and I pray that you will help us treat your word uh, carefully as we move on, trying to resolve this very important problem. We ask this in Jesus' name, and God's people said.